Welcome to Inclusion Unlocked, where we explore the changing equity, diversity and inclusion landscape, bringing you fresh perspectives, lived experiences, practical tips and next practice. I'm Sasha Scott, and I'm the founder and CEO of Inclusive Group. We're an equity, diversity and inclusion consultancy in the business of behaviour. Alongside our guests, we'll be exploring challenging topics and focusing on action, considering the practical steps each of us can take, whether we're leaders, HR practitioners or colleagues, to unlock inclusion in our workspace. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Ellie Austin-Williams, money coach, finance content writer and founder of This Girl Talks Money. After qualifying as a solicitor in 2018, Ellie took the huge step of walking away from the law to pursue her passion for finance. Armed with a mission to help millennial women to feel confident and in control of their money without sacrificing the things they enjoy in life, Ellie founded This Girl Talks Money in 2019. So what started as a blog and an Instagram channel grew into a fully blown online community, providing practical financial tips and resources, seeing Ellie's financial research and content writing become a full-time endeavor. Today, as the cost of living crisis affects each and every one of us, Ellie and I discuss the critical need to break through the taboo of talking about money and the onus on employers to put financial well-being front and center. Okay, fantastic. Um, Ellie, how lovely um, to see you in, re- in real life, albeit via Zoom. Um, I'm coming direct from Wimbledon and you're in Soho House. Yes, I am. I'm in the centre of London today just to change up the environment a little bit. Excellent. I love that. I love that. Um, Ellie, um, it would be really lovely if we could get to know a little a little bit about you before I'm going to hit you with a few um, questions, all to do with money, etc. But can you just um, tell us a little bit more about you and your journey and why you know why you do what you do? Because I'd love to hear about that. I'm particularly interested in the fact that you are a, are a qualified solicitor, but are now going in another direction, right? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess the journey started about three years ago, coming up to three years, um, when I realised that there was a need and a space really for for financial education. It was something that when I started out my career in my early 20s um, as a lawyer, I didn't really find anything out there that kind of spoke to people like me who were, I guess, in their 20s, they were ambitious, they wanted to earn money and to manage their money, but they also wanted to have fun and have a life. Um, you know, you're working hard, so you still want to enjoy it. And there just wasn't anything out there. Um, you know, my mum sent me Martin Lewis's emails. Like, I was like, this is great, but this is like aimed at a different audience. Where is this stuff for somebody like me? And I just couldn't find it. And eventually, after kind of thinking about this idea for a while, I had a look around and I saw that in the US it was happening. People were talking to this audience. And I thought, well, if they're doing it there, there must be a need for it. And there's obviously a market for it. And people want to engage in this. So I thought, let's give writing a blog a go. So that's kind of where I started. I started out with writing um, a blog. It was literally a side project. I was working at this point um, in marketing and I started an Instagram account, had the blog and didn't really have a plan at all um, at that point. And yeah, I guess fast forward three, almost three years um, and it's kind of my full-time business. Um, and there are lots of, yeah, there are lots of different aspects 
to what I do. Um, but effectively, it all kinds of comes under that umbrella of financial education. Okay, and that's um, it's really interesting because I kind of feel that we do our best work when we're doing something that fills us with passion. And even though we're separated through glass and screen and um, you know the, the, the space of time between where you are and where I am in London, and I can still feel your passion and your calling in that space. And uh, Ellie, for so many of us, these are absolutely frightening times. I mean, it's like I don't even want to put the news on at the moment because it feels like we're going to hell in the handcart and I hate myself for not wanting to actually address the stuff that's going on around us but financial well-being wellness is is perhaps more important right now than than ever before and I'm really interested given your connections to millennials and gen z audiences can you share what you're hearing right now like how is the cost of living crisis affecting people both practically and from a well well-being perspective yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you touched on it there, it's like a practical and uh, emotional well-being issue. And I think kind of the, the place to start with is that actually when we're talking about financial well-being, a lot of people are like, well, what is financial well-being? And the way I kind of summarise it is it's about how you feel about money. It's your relationship with money. And actually, a lot of us, you know, look after our physical and our mental increasingly well-being, but we don't look after that relationship with money. Yeah, our money how we feel about it the stress that we have about it and um, anxiety impacts both our mental and our like physical well-being in some respects um and yeah it's not something that gets the attention really that um the, the other two do and it's so important that we are looking after it um and like you said it's it is a really scary time for a lot of people and Actually, I don't think that there is anything wrong with not engaging with the news at the moment, because I do think that sometimes it does induce a lot more panic than it does good. But it's, it is scary. And I actually think a lot of the time when you listen to too much of it, it can end up with you panicking more. And then when you panic, you don't actually want to take action. Whereas the biggest thing people can do to help right now is to actually get those pieces of information in front of them to understand where they are, understand what they're spending, what is going out, and understand what, you know, the impact of the rising energy prices is going to be on their on their bank accounts. And, you know, we've had an announcement today which is gonna impact what is going to happen in October. And, you know, it's it's helped, but prices are still going to go up. So people do still need to be thinking about this. And from speaking to to my audience, to to a lot of like you say, millennials, Gen Z, then I mean, it's been a dire time financially for a lot of young people over the last few years. Um, people at the start of their careers are often um, the ones that are most affected by bad economies in terms of job losses, um, just companies not hiring, hiring freezes, pay reductions, pay cuts, uh, rent going up, all of these things. So housing is a topic I'm getting a lot of of people worried about because yeah the cost of rising bills is being passed on from landlords who in some cases didn't increase prices over rent um, over covid they have now realized they can't sustain the full impact of what's happening yeah. and so they're having to put up rent and i'm speaking to people whose rent is going up kind of five six ten percent even in london and these are high mm. rents anyway and actually a couple of people i spoke to in the last few days are civil servants they are getting pay rises of less than two percent um 
and so it just doesn't add up and you know they appreciate that the the landlords have tried to be generous a lot of times this is not like a you know landlords are evil type of of conversation that people are having Mm. but it's like i cannot make the maths math it doesn't work so that is a big topic that people i think are, are finding stressful um and then yeah the the balance really between being at home to work and saving Mm -hmm. money in some respects there by not having to commute but then also having to use more energy people are now questioning is it actually cheaper for me to go to the office um, and not be at home even though commuting is expensive train prices always seem to be going up Um, so there's a lot on on young Mm. people's minds right now there, there is. And, and I think, Elliot, it's, it's quite an interesting focus on does the cost of living crisis mean that actually, whilst many people, not all, but many people thrive in a hybrid work environment, that actually this could further depress the sort of mental wellness piece if people go, you know what, I've got to go to work because at least I can yeah, have lighting, have a shower, be warm, um, possibly get subsidised food um, from eight till six, even though I was really doing well in myself by working in a more hybrid way. And I kind of just think there were some revolutions going on at the moment. And it'll be really interesting if this pushes people that don't want to back into a physical workspace. Who knows, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that's a really good question. It's one that I think we're going to see play out over the next six months or so, because I've seen a lot of discussions about exactly this, like, you know, at work, our workplace is doing things to help. And, you know, not every employer can afford to increase salaries by 10%. But a lot of employers already are offering like tea, coffee, milk, juice, subsidized lunch like you say and that adds up especially at a time where like the food prices are going up a lot and you know I'm in a position where I'm lucky where I'm you know not worried about like being able to afford my food shop but I have noticed it like I buy the same things week and week and week out at Sainsbury's and I've noticed like the prices of certain items going up by like 10 12 percent and it all does make a difference um and so I think a lot of people that maybe you know are worrying about it will think okay well yes I can get into the office and actually there I maybe don't need to spend more than like my train fare to get in but equally I think that the situation with rent could also push some people further out again um, out of the cities to places where they're more affordable and then they'll be working from home again so I really think it could have both impacts and it's it's really kind of a uncharted territory and um, rent mm. i mean rent prices have been wild in london in the last kind of few months the stories i've heard have been awful really um, really yeah just about there's just not enough supply for the demand and so again typically it's young people who are renting who don't have the security of owning their properties who are being hit the most and people are being put into bidding wars for homes to rent um in kind of zone three which is was unheard of before the pandemic and everyone thought things are going to get easier people will be able to work more remotely but actually you know it's just causing different challenges for for young people financially okay well, that's really, really fascinating. I'm going to move the conversation a bit, but still focus on the generational aspects of this. Education around money 
and helping women have conversations about their own financial safety, maybe we would call it that. Yeah, this has changed a lot over time. I, I, you know, I don't know how old your mum is. She's probably about my age, right? Um, and um, you know, our generation, like financial education and it just didn't really happen and i'm really curious from a diversity perspective we know that women particularly can find it quite awkward or uncomfortable to talk about money historically whether that's in the workplace or at home looking at the sort of generational aspect what does that look like for you i mean what do you see in different generations around attitudes to discussing money and what what does your community tell you about that is it changing yeah, I mean, I definitely think it is changing. Um, but I also think that I sometimes maybe get a little bit carried away um, with how much it's changing because I've got a, a very small subsection of a community compared to like the, the population of women. Um, and I do think that there is a shift. I think that people are, um, women particularly, are becoming more conscious of the need to be aware at least of what is going on in their financial lives and to, to manage that to have an eye at least on the bank account even if it's not that they're running it but I think a lot of women also want to be in charge they want to have an active role in, in the finances at home and in a relationship where traditionally that just wasn't always the case I mean I think my mother-in-law is a great example she um she had she, she kind of went she got married quite young she um had a good career but all of the finances were always run by her husband um until they separated and then she found herself learning about all of this yeah. kind of in her 50s um which is is quite an overwhelming prospect um you know and it's overwhelming when you're in your 20s or your 30s never mind later mm. on when it's all been dealt with and it's a complicated area um so i do think there is a shift happening i think I think women are becoming more aware of how powerful it can be to be in control of their finances and to educate themselves about money, which I do think is is so positive. It's so optimistic and it makes me feel like very like, hopeful about the future. But I still think there's a lot of shifts that need to happen, um, a lot of kind of structural and societal changes that need to happen to actually make it like make it normal for you know finances to be something that is dealt with 50 50 that women are confident dealing with and that women are kind of involved in when it comes to you know the big table where all of the big discussions are being had about money yeah absolutely and i think it's also an empowerment point piece here so if, if, if one looks at the situation that you've alluded to in terms of your mother-in-law um you know i think a lack of knowledge around money and finance means that if one's you know in a relationship which you haven't really played a part of of the money and the finance it can be um psychologically quite sort of strangulating because you kind of think well i don't know how to deal with that so i suspect you know that 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 causes a huge amount of dissent in couples, whatever that couple looks like. But it's also about power and knowledge, isn't it? About how 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 used to it. So what I'm hearing from you, Ellie, is part of your messaging to your community is to normalise conversations about money right from the get go, from an independent perspective. So this doesn't become something that is taboo, um, and we don't almost sort of like go backwards. Yeah, absolutely, and I think. You know, sometimes this message can be misconstrued or misunderstood as, you know, me saying like 
oh, well, you should be 100% in control of the money. You shouldn't share any finances. Keep it all to yourself. Like, that is not at all true. I'm a, a huge advocate, actually, for sharing all of the information about your finances if you are in a relationship um, at, obviously, like a certain point. But I think that's the point. It's about that shared shared information, shared communication. And I think that's what is actually at the heart of it. So many relationships break down and have issues because of money. And it nearly always comes down to a communication problem. And so I'm hugely passionate about helping people and encouraging people to have conversations about money and starting to get through that initial awkwardness, which often is something that we construct um in our heads that we say you know oh i can't talk about that it's rude it's uncomfortable like that we're the ones telling ourselves that um and if we can get through that if we can start having these conversations then it can genuinely like change your life um change your relationships with friends family partners um and you know get you hopefully more money as well if you can talk about money in a work context Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I was just going to go into that sort of salary negotiation and um, asking for money um, and asking for a pay rise. Um, you know, there's there, there's historically been such a taboo around being able to have those conversations, particularly from a, a female perspective. Part of your work involves working with employers, I understand, to provide people with information about managing money. You know, are, what are employers doing around that? Can you, can you give us an insight into what I would call sort of more inclusive financial financial awareness and that that could be yeah. a name for a new training course from inclusive group with you as the key trainer knows, literally right? yeah exactly and I mean a hundred percent because I think like you're you make it such a good point that you know employers are in a position of power where they can influence they can encourage they can support um whatever they want to do with their workforce they can do it and you know as we know that there are a lot of employees that are stressed at the moment worried about finances you know this the data's there so kind of without kind of going into it you know helping to to support employees with financial anxiety financial stress and helping them with managing that can help your business it can help their performance people carry around stress and anxiety to work a lot of the time and I'm also conscious that you know a lot of employers don't have the resource necessarily to give everybody like a 10 12 percent pay rise like that's a lot of money um but there are things that people can do and that they are doing and one thing i'm seeing a huge rise in is workshops training and people providing sessions to help their teams help their employees to actually know how to navigate these feelings and emotions about anxiety stress when it comes to money it's it's not a quick fix it's not going to be a magic like spell that's going to cure all of the people's concerns but I think a lot of the time it's not having coping mechanisms it's like anything that is you know in our heads really you know there's a practical element but there's also this mental Mm. element of like the financial stress and that's where financial well-being comes into play there is a part of it which is about okay here are some steps you can take to make your your situation better like inform yourself arm yourself with knowledge take actions but there's also a part like how are you thinking about this and how can you get on top of those negative thoughts and those spiraling thoughts that are getting you stuck like are you ignoring your finances because of the anxiety and are you just burying your head and ignoring those letters coming through the post that are telling you you need to face up to them and actually there's yeah 
big piece of, of mindset work there that we kind of look at in a lot of the financial well-being work as well as yeah the practical side so I'm seeing a huge uptick in um in employers of all sizes um all over the world coming and having that conversation saying okay can we do something to help support our team with financial well-being and yeah it's, it's a great thing I think to see that people are increasingly aware that this is something that they can do to to help yeah, yeah. And that's really good and really positive, because like you say, letting the envelopes pile up without being open just leads to us catastrophizing, putting ourselves in a corner and is just incredibly detrimental on top of many other sort of microaggressions and stresses and traumas out there that are impacting people's wellness right now. Fact. Right. So I like the practicality and, and that a lot of this is not only um you know what you can do to maybe save or or navigate financial journey a little bit more savvy way it's also about how we treat ourselves and and the what we tell ourselves about the situations and addressing stuff i'm going to uh, uh, close on um well two things i'm going to say to you ellie um if i were to give you a million pounds and fyi i'm not but if i were well like what are the top three things you'd spend the money on <laughs> um and then what top tips can you give us as a takeaway but here's a million quid what are you doing with that oh my gosh um that's a great question so I guess the first thing I'd probably do um is I would love to pay off my mum's mortgage so I think that's the first thing I would do if I had a million pounds um like I yeah that that would have to be up there then I think I'd probably buy a holiday home um (laughs) a holiday home somewhere in Europe you know just nothing too extravagant somewhere where friends family everyone can go and then maybe just throw a big party as well for for everyone in this time where everyone's stressed everyone's anxious um about all sorts of things like just have a big party have a good time I think yeah that that's my top three (laughs) okay great well first of all your mum's really lucky number two holiday home abroad loving that and number three can I come to the party of Um, course (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and finally, Ellie, if you can leave us with um, top two tips on managing finances, something that I can do maybe differently than I was doing before I turned on the call and started us recording. Just two things as takeaways would be amazing. Absolutely. So I think the first thing is a practical one, and that is to make sure that you know your situation. It sounds so obvious, but know your financial situation inside out. So sit down take half an hour aside and go through everything through your bank accounts your cards mortgage if you've got a mortgage like and create a full picture of everything that comes in everything that goes out everything that you owe everything that you have invested or in savings so that you really have that bird's eye view of where you are where there are any kind of pressure points where there's any room for maneuver and do a bit of an audit so every time somebody that I speak to does this for the first time they will find things that they are spending money on that they don't need to spend money on they'll find things that they've forgotten about and then you can take actions and you know this isn't again something that might you know make you millions but it's something that you can find 30 40 pounds extra a month that can go towards the increase in bills that we're about to see which if you don't do this exercise you're not going to have i mean there are so many follow-ons from that but trying to be concise let's stick with with that one um and come up with a budget i'll say that as part of that first step figure out a budget whether you use an app whether you use a spreadsheet find a way to manage your money that works for you and it's so easy nowadays with the amount of apps that are out there you don't have to do it all manually you don't need to be good at numbers 
So that's number one is get that bird's eye view and 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 get get a budget in place. And then number two, I would say, is just take some time regularly to reflect on how you feel about money. Either again in a journal, you can write this down on paper, or you can do it in your notes on your phone if you're commuting somewhere or if you're just you know wandering around the supermarket wherever you are but ask yourself you know on regular occasions like how am I feeling about money and when I say that I mean all different aspects about your bank account about how much you're earning about how much you're spending about what's coming in about what's going out you know does it make you feel anxious does it make you feel excited the more you can start to reflect on your feelings about money and about finances the more you'll start to see patterns and those patterns will help you to figure out what's actually going on underneath and ultimately before you can shift your mindset and actually start to change it you need to become aware of what it is at the moment um and actually i mean again this is a very long short answer but there's a whole lot of work that that can be done around this but i would say start to become aware of how you're feeling and also any particular events things that trigger specific feelings around money and then go and google money stories and do a bit of reading into that and you'll start to understand why you individually behave and feel like you do about money because it's actually quite complicated wow really interesting (laughs) yeah it is it's um it's a huge huge topic um but I think the, the kind of takeaway that I hope people will get from this is that, you know, yeah. money isn't just about numbers at all. It's not mm. as simple as earn more money, you know, things become easier, life becomes less stressful. That's not how it works. We all carry a lot of emotional attachment to it. And if you can start to just identify those those little patterns of feelings, that's going to give you some information to work with in terms of trying to, yeah, feel a bit freer, a bit less bogged down by it, if that is how you feel. Brilliant, brilliant. So, so Ellie, thank you so very much for your time and your um, really, really valuable contributions on this uh, pro- podcast, all about money and finance and wellness and well-being. Ellie, you've been a fabulous guest. Um, I wish you a, a really lovely afternoon. Sorry, you don't have the million quid in your back pocket, but <laughs> please uh, do stay in touch with us because we think you are fabulous. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you for having me. Ellie, thank you so much for sharing your journey and for bringing to life how important it is for employers to acknowledge the stress and anxiety personal finances can create. I'm sure that everyone who's tuned in will feel compelled to put financial well-being at the top of their people agenda. And thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of Inclusion Unlocked. Inclusive Group provides education and commercial solutions around well-being, culture and inclusion, helping you drive real change. We work extensively with organisations, HR functions and leadership teams to navigate a changing diversity landscape. If you'd like to hear more about our work or to arrange a conversation, please click on the link of the landing page of this episode and follow the link to our website.